This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. Hi, everyone here and around the world. The cats are playing downstairs tonight, but I want to give you an update about two upcoming events where I'll be speaking. One is Alan Steinfeld's Making Contact, the new realities of disclosure and cosmic awakening that are unfolding on Thursday to Thursday in June of 2022. Go to the website makingcontactseries.com. These Making Contact programs delve into the mystery of the UFO phenomena and the government's 80-year-long cover-up of the truth that we're not alone in this universe and lots of intelligent beings are throughout our cosmos. What goes to tomorrow night, June 9th, features UAP, UFO technology, and the new cosmology. So that Making Contact episode will center around the science and cosmology of UAP UFOs with Caroline Corey, Skinwalker Ranch Travis Taylor, and David Mason, a science engineer working with advanced vector impedance cathodes. The next Thursday, June 16th, Alan will have an in-depth conversation with me and author and ET experiencer Whitley Strieber and artist Kamara Jones. What is it about human beings that makes us so interesting to the other intelligences interacting with Earth? What does the nature of the human soul have to do with these other beings and the whole UFO UAP phenomenon. This Making Contact series ends with episode five on June 23rd in a discussion about star seeds and hybrids and the possible formation of a new human race with Adam Apollo, Marina Seren, and Mary Rodwell from Australia. To register for these programs, go to makingcontactseries.com. And then, in only three months, I will be flying to Barcelona, Spain, to speak before the 6th Annual Ufology World Congress of September 9th to 11th, 2022. And I'll be joining... Christopher Mellon, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence in the Bill Clinton and George W. Bush administrations, and later for security and information operations. Other speakers include Klaas Spahn, an independent European journalist who produced the unexplained files in UFO Europe, with Erling Strand, who investigated the mysterious Hestalen Norway glowing orbs high in the mountains, Jaime Masson, a TV journalist from Mexico who has long reported about UFOs, crop formations, and other unexplained phenomena, 
Spanish author Cristina Martin, who has written about the Bilderberg power brokers, Anton Parks, who is a French-German writer who specializes in ancient Oriental cultures, and Pedro Ramirez, a UFO investigator in Mexico. Here is the link for tickets to attend the sixth annual Ufology World Congress, Barcelona, Spain, September 9 to 11, 2022. And here is the website, en dot for English, the Ufology World Congress dot com forward slash tickets. I will be speaking about non-human ETs described by top secret government documents, whistleblowers, and human abductees. Now, during my recent May 22nd Earth Files broadcasts about the U.S. government's Psalm 101 Extraterrestrial Entities and Technology training manual about the Project Aquarius and about the Interplanetary Phenomena Unit documents, I mentioned that I have been able to ask a military aerospace source if the United States now has secret deep space vehicles for long-distance space travel to other stars? And the answer that I received is yes. My source told me that under the new U.S. Space Force, the sixth and newest branch of American military, the sixth, there are at least three long-distance space vehicles, each named after historic military leaders. One is the USS Curtis LeMay, named after four-star General Curtis LeMay, who was U.S. Air Force Chief of Staff from 1961 to 1965. I have been told that the USS LeMay has been, quote, crewed in outer space since 2003 and has been to 22 different catalog solar systems in our small arm of the Milky Way galaxy. Along with the USS Curtis LeMay is the USS Hoyt Vandenberg, a second long distance space vehicle named after Major General Hoyt Vandenberg. He was U.S. Air Force Chief of Staff and President Truman appointed member of MJ-12 that secretly studied UFOs and ETs beginning in 1947. And the third U.S. long-distance space vehicle is named the USS Roscoe Hillenketter. Quoting from my source, the Hoyt Vandenberg is built mainly for reconnaissance, stellar mapping, laying out navigation paths to avoid cosmic obstacles, high radiation zones, newborn star development, and making first contact with other life forms. The USS Vandenberg has the largest crew of tall whites and Nordics from Sirius B on board to help facilitate first contact interaction correctly, meaning first contact interaction with other beings, other species in our cosmos. You could say that the USS Vandenberg is really the tip of the spear as we venture out. 
Just know that this is done under supervision from the two very old and responsible and respected off-world groups, the Tall Whites and the Nordics. Most of the contacts we made in cataloging different star systems have intelligences that are aware that the Tall Whites and Nordics are supervising us, meaning us humans. The Tall Whites and Nordics do not tell us where to go or where to look for other civilizations. They only monitor our activity while being on board our craft, close quote. In addition to the USS Curtis LeMay and the USS Hoyt Vandenberg, a third United States deep space vehicle is the USS Roscoe Hillenketter, named after Navy Admiral Hillenketter, who was the first CIA director from 1947 to 1950. He was a member of the Board of Governors for NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena from 1957 to 1962. Mr. Helen Ketter was also a Truman-appointed member of MJ-12 that secretly has studied UFOs and ETs for the U.S. government since its creation in 1947 by President Harry S. Truman. My source adds, quote, the Helen Ketter meaning the vehicle that goes into deep space, is tasked with dedicated group study mainly. It is built differently than the USS Hoyt Vandenberg in the areas of carrying large payloads to the surface of planets and keeping downward stations supplied for long duration of planetary surface studies. Both the USS Hillenketter and the USS Vandenberg have crew from the United States, the UK, Russia, and Germany. The Tall Whites work in conjunction with these other multi-country crews. The Nordic Group is the oldest we have cataloged and have a standing respect of sorts from other groups of extraterrestrial civilizations, mainly due to the Nordic's longevity and keeping peace and any outside non-friendly groups at bay. The Nordics have very advanced technology that they don't share except to say some of their technology is incorporated into both the USS Hillenketter and the USS Hoyt Vandenberg under their, the Tall Whites, supervision. The USS Curtis LeMay has been able to crew in outer space since 2003 because it is a U.S. deep space vehicle capable of deep quantum tunneling protocol, or DQTP. That's the physics of tunneling through space-time with Alcubierre warp drive to explore in other solar systems. Deep quantum tunneling might reduce travel time of, say, 50 light years down to only five Earth days of travel. Wikipedia defines deep quantum tunneling as a quantum mechanical phenomenon where the wave function can propagate through a potential barrier. Tunneling may be explained in terms of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle in that a quantum object can be known as a wave or as a particle in the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. 
In other words, the uncertainty in the exact location of light particles allows those photons to break rules of classical mechanics and move in space without passing over the potential energy barrier. My military aerospace source says that with help from friendly ET allies, such as the Tall Whites and Blonde Nordics, the USS Curtis LeMay was built to explore Earth's interstellar neighborhood since 2003, exploring 22 different solar systems in our arm of the Milky Way galaxy, including where blonde, blue-eyed, pale-skinned Nordics inhabit Procyon A and B, a binary star system 11.45 light-years from Earth. There, the very bright Procyon A orbits the fainter companion Procyon B. The pair orbit each other with a period of about 41 years along an elliptical orbit. The Nordics also inhabit another binary star system, Sirius A and B. Sirius A is the brightest star in Earth's sky, and there is its much smaller and dimmer companion, Sirius B. That star system is home to blonde, blue-eyed, white-skinned Nordic humanoids, and another humanoid species that lives in water like the historic fish-scale people of Mesopotamia and Mali, Africa. But my source of this information stresses, quote, Our true friends that help us the most are the tall whites. These extraterrestrials are from 82G Eridani, about 20 light-years from Earth, which is one of the 22 catalog star systems that our U.S. Space Force has explored. It is a main-sequence star with a stellar classification of G6V and hosts a system of at least three super-Earth planets, close quote. Even in the 1970 book Habitable Planets for Man, 82G Eridani was given the highest estimate for habitability, now continuing with information to my questions from the military aerospace source, quote. My source says, quote, and the tall whites are extremely intelligent humanoids with white hair, pale eyes, very white skin, like white chalk. The U.S. Space Force has worked closely with them on multiple programs for a long time. And we have had by far the most interaction with this tall white group on technology exchange. We have also done society studies with their culture at the 82G Eridani star system, where the control of their tall white civilization is mainly based. I myself consider the tall whites to be our earth human source race. And that's my source saying that after everything I have read and heard in meetings through the years. The tall whites keep our intelligence folks in JSOC informed and up-to-date on what other intelligences are visiting Earth and for what reasons. Linda, you talked about the DIA analyst who told you in December of 1999 that our government had proof that three competing ET civilizations have been fighting over Earth for at least 270 million years. 
Well, what I've been told is that controlling Earth 270 million years ago was definitely the Sirius B group of Nordics. And these ETs look very close to us humans. If I sat you in a room with them, you would not know they are off-worlders, as we say. The Sirius B group looks very close to Norwegian or Scandinavian people. The texture of their skin is rough like a person that spent most of their life suntanning a lot, and they have very thin facial features. And then my source answered my question about the mid to late 1980s increase in sightings of black triangular and sometimes boomerang-shaped craft that blocked out stars as the craft slowly moved in night skies. He surprised me when he said they were not ETs. He said those triangles with lights in the corners were the first U.S. space vehicles that could go out two light years to the Oort cloud that surrounds our solar system beyond the Kuiper belt. My source says, quote, we have had help from friendly ETs such as the Tall Whites and Nordics that have helped us build craft with worker bee types that we call programmed life forms or PLFs. These are all ash gray small beings that are artificial intelligence. They help carry out missions and use small craft shaped like manta rays, not disks. The ash gray small child size are biologically alive, but they are described in government reports as being a nuisance to operations even, being conducted by the powerful JSOC, the Joint Special Operations Command, that is charged to study special operations and is involved in collaboration with extraterrestrials such as the Tall Whites and the Nordics. <coughs> JSOC describes the program life forms as being designed for temporal space travel. This is a type of travel that we humans currently cannot do. The PLFs are grown for a lack of better words and are programmed for specific duties and mission assignments just like human pilots are. The extraterrestrials that manage the program life forms are the much taller ancient greys. This is a very old race that do not travel through space often. They use these worker drones, the PLFs, to travel through space often. Notice I use the term through space, not in space. When the tall greys travel through space, Time as we humans know it, it goes to a zero function of the waveform. That means you can travel instantaneously to any point in the universe in the blink of an eye. This is the holy grail that JSOC wants at any cost. We understand some of the physics, but it uses concepts that are difficult for us to grasp. Linda, our universe is a conscious entity. New studies imply the consciousness of observers are responsible for determining physical reality. And there's more about the little gray program life forms. It is the same type of craft that was involved 
in the 1947 Roswell incidents. It is shaped like a manta ray with small, flexible, vertical wingtips, and the wings are also flexible as well. The underbelly was covered with honeycomb-shaped glass ceramic-like structures, which are actually a type of waveguide using what is called CSE, Cavity Structured Effect. The waveguide underbelly works similar to the way a waveguide works in a household microwave oven. Cavity structured effect is a key to understanding how these manta ray craft fly and levitate so quietly. The key to these cavity structured effect cells and the manta ray shaped small craft is the layering of micron thick various metals, especially magnesium, zinc, and bismuth. The layering of these metals, along with a binding agent similar to doping used in semiconductor manufacturing, is how gravity is nullified. The main component to achieving this nullification of gravity is the bismuth metal. It is the most diamagnetic of all elements. That means it resists magnetic fields. So bismuth is one of the most important metals used in these extraterrestrial craft. Bismuth is also very important in our human work in trying to do deep quantum tunneling protocol, which is similar to Alcubierre's warp drive. Bismuth is a key component to how it works. We are working on other behaviors of bismuth that are highly classified. Without bismuth, the extraterrestrials cannot travel through space. Bismuth is a direct tie-in with consciousness between minds and the conscious universe. And you're looking at my photograph that I took all the way back in the early 1990s. And what is it? Alternating er uh, layers, alternating layers of pure black, pure bismuth, one to four microns, alternating with magnesium zinc alloy, 97.6% magnesium and 2.4% zinc, and like a thin, thin tort cake those alternating layers with the pure bismuth are what a physicist told me he studied in the 1970s and came to understand that this was one of the skins of, of the craft that came down in the 40s and other locations and that this skin combined with another skin of pure aluminum with iridium atoms atomically placed are what would allow the beings with their minds and their technologies to neutralize gravity and to move point to point through this universe. So the dots in the Puantilisma are beginning to come to form a big picture. They're all linked.
and they're all linked to other intelligences in this universe and we are an intelligence that is currently inhabiting the surface of planet Earth. And I want to transition to thank you, one of the viewers who sent this in, on May 7th. Quote, If this universe and all the dimensions surrounding it are an expression, an expression of consciousness willingly separating itself from the point of origin, which would be unity, I would assume that every single dimension in this newly formed reality has different degrees of duality at play. I have asked so many times, why is this a universe in which the yin and the yang seem to be pitched against each other at every level, everywhere? This writer, one of our viewers, one of our fellow viewers to the Earth Files YouTube channel. The yin and yang principle has to be present with different intensities in each in every layer of this newly formed separate reality. I would speculate that the more you go up in the hierarchy of dimensions, we're in the third to the fourth to the fifth, the more the yin and yang principle starts to gradually dissipate as you go up in dimensions. And when you reach the last layer of this hierarchy, you are about to re-enter the point of origin, where the state of separation, yin and yang separation, no longer exists. This place is nowhere near the 3D. Duality, yin and yang, must be present in non-physical dimensions as well. How is it possible that an extraterrestrial material being residing in some location somewhere in this 3D universe with a synthetic type of intelligence, like one of the AIs, is able to detect, store, and utilize something completely non-physical like the soul? It is somewhat evident that this whole agenda surpasses the three-dimensional realm. Some of these beings most definitely are interdimensional. Some of them might have non-physical properties or at least have access to other dimensions. So below, so above. The same rules that apply here must apply there. Everything needs food or energy. Non-physical beings in higher dimensions are no exception to this rule. I would go so far as to believe that there are different expressions of natural and synthetic types of intelligences or consciousness in different dimensions. The tunnel of light that almost all people report seeing when they die or are, are about to die, the near-death experiencer, seems to be some kind of artificially constructed wormhole maybe in the fourth dimension. We humans have been genetically programmed to see this tube when our soul is about to permanently leave our body. This structure sucks you in at a point A and spits you out at a point B. 
By the time you exit the tunnel, you are in amnesia. You have no little, no need for recollection of memories. Beings of some sort seem to accompany this process. They seem to be adamant about the soul returning into the physical realm. So who builds this structure? Aliens? Interdimensional beings? Non-physical beings? All of the above? Whoever created it knew that the frequency emitted by the soul is love. Therefore, the entrance of this tunnel had to display a similar frequency in order for the soul to enter. And now I'm going to reach to something. I have done this before because everything is coming together for me in a picture that is becoming more and more entwined. Is this universe an organic consciousness experiment? Is that the whole picture? And is that why there is the thought that dwells in the light. That is as big as you can get. And there is something about beginning to understand that this universe is one of so many, each one created for a different experiment. And in this one, the ingredient that is absorbing everything recording everything for evolution, for reincarnation cycles, for returning all of the information to the thought that dwells in the light, is the soul, a quantum packet. Eventually, it's probably not going to be like discovering facet after facet after facet. Eventually, if this experiment in organic consciousness finally succeeds beyond hatred and dark wars, which is the part in the yin and yang pitted against each other in this experiment, that like some of these beings, we would be able with a mind and a soul to project into timelines, to bypass craft, to move point to point in consciousness. And that seems to me to be where this huge, huge process is headed. Meanwhile, here on dear, dear planet Earth, we humans still have not been officially introduced that there are an infinite number, that the number of consciousnesses going on in this universe and other universes, this universe of three trillion galaxies, and we're in one little arm in the Milky Way galaxy, we still haven't been told officially. Not only are we not alone, but that in this 
particular universe of at least three trillion galaxies. This experiment is being played out for who knows how large other consciousnesses can be. And on that note, I want to welcome everybody. I know this was a, a really deep, deep dive. And at the top, for those of you who might have been laughing, it, it was uh, the teleprompter Brad couldn't see and doesn't know. And the teleprompter was going faster and faster. And I, uh, I was trying to keep up and ad lib. And um, that's difficult. But I'm glad we have reached this point, and I want to now transition to Ian to just say, does it not suddenly feel, with the facets coming from my sources, from our viewers, that we are beginning, Ian, to have a completely different relationship to the whole issue of extraterrestrial biological entities from places that are unrecognizable and it's beginning to shift. We all need to meet each other in a universe that has this much technology, this much consciousness, that we are just scratching the surface. But what, what an exciting surface if we can just get down into understanding more about the universe that we are in. Are you there? I think people are sharing their experiences. They're also appreciative of the new information that you're bringing to them every week as well. Thank you. We've got such a good community here. Thank you. And I hope it wasn't too out of joint there at the top with the teleprompter. Part of me wanted to laugh and another part wanted to say, Brad, slow it down. Um, but the part that was going fast was uh, having to do with uh, the making contact that Alan Steinfeld and, uh, is, has organized. And I really hope that all of you will uh, seek out the making contact uh, for the conference uh, pieces that we're doing on Thursday. Uh, it will be tomorrow night and the next Thursday, Whitley. Uh, and me and the artist, and then the last Thursday. So even if the uh, if our teleprompter was going on its own uh, magical mystery tour, um, I hope that is that takes care of the, the content that was uh, I was challenged with, and that I would love to know if our audience tonight and how many countries are here, how important do you feel this is that we're beginning to get sources that are really, really filling in so many pieces that, to me, it's becoming exciting and profoundly stimulating to keep learning more. I don't find, even if there's hostile ones, as we have talked about, and Buddy Bolton did the remote viewing about uh, the tronoloids, we deal with uh, negative and positive on our planet, and it probably is throughout this yin and yang universe. That doesn't make it feel less exciting and exhilarating about finally beginning to break through all of these 
secrets and the superimposition on the general population that we should not know. If we all were learning all of this at the same time in all languages and everywhere, it might have an impact on that consciousness in the universe. That beautiful illustration that if humans could get past hatred and war and conflict, we might get into a much better dynamic with the consciousness of this universe. So, Ian, I'm now going to turn it over to you for feedback and questions. Okay, first of all, I'd like to say thank you to all the viewers tuning in from all around the world. We've had viewers from all over the United States again today, also from Canada and uh, the United Kingdom. Australia is well represented this evening, so is New Zealand. We've had Ireland, Finland, Luxembourg, Denmark and the Netherlands checking in, as well as Colombia and Uruguay and the Bahamas, and even Jakarta in Indonesia are here tonight. Thank you so much. All you guys, send us uh, chats, comments on how this content sets with you tonight and how much more in this kind of depth you would like to learn. I would genuinely like to hear from everybody if that were possible. So, go ahead, Ian. What else do we have? Okay, Global Net has been in the chat this evening and uh, says a secret reveal for you guys. The USS that fly to other stars are done by the hybrids, not manned by human astronauts, since our human DNA is incompatible with interstellar craft. And uh, the Experiencer Chronicles asks, I need to know more about the human pilots. Okay, let me say, I know that that uh, comment is not accurate because I have talked uh, with at least uh, two people who know quite a bit uh, from a pilot point of view about who is going out in the uh, USS Curtis LeMay, in the USS Roscoe Helen Ketter, and the uh, uh, the other one, uh, what I think I'm feeling uh, so nervous about how we got started. Um, this, this is crazy. Um, the third one. Well, you guys, you can just shout back. It's the Hoyt, yeah, the Hoyt Vandenberg. And the, the very fact that I have talked with two people who know quite a bit about the pilots, um, I, I just, I do not think that the issue of hybridization as a limiting factor, I don't think that's accurate. So, okay, Linda, um, we've got some more questions about the ships. Are these ships um, built by ET, presumably by, um, by ETs? Well, you heard the description from the source that they are done under the supervision of the Tall Whites and the Nordics. And I don't have any detailed specifics about how they're put together. Well, I have not uh, got, got architectural plans or anything like that. 
I understand, though, that they are in the category of when we build something like an aircraft carrier. Do you know what I mean? Like it's large and serves a function. And that these are very, very large and that it's being, that what we are doing that is kept very, very secret, uh, that it is done in under the supervision of the tall whites and the tall Nordics or, or the Nordics. Okay, Linda, uh, Starlight says, could you ask Linda if she knows anything about a break-off or break-away civilization? Ask that again. Starlight says, could you ask Linda if she knows anything about a break-off or break-away civilization? Basically, well, it's the yeah, uh, it's, concept that the, the hum humanity yeah. is broken off into a, a, a secret breakaway right. part of our civilization. Yeah, it was uh, something that Richard uh, Dolan uh, coined um, in his National Security series long, long time ago. And the breakaway civilization is something that, of course, uh, how else would you explain in a strange way that we have got uh, missions out in 22 different catalog solar systems where uh, you would have people staying for some period of time, I would assume, and that they have been doing, as I said, we've been doing social studies, uh, that they have gone out to where uh, the tall whites uh, at 82G Eridani, uh, to Procyon A and B, Sirius A and B, and on Sirius A and B, a program that I hope to do upcoming, this is becoming an increasingly important book to me, The Serious Mystery by Robert K.G. Temple. And the subtitle on this book that uh, came out back in 1976, first time, was Earth visited by intelligent beings from a planet in the system of the star of Sirius? And if you take the source here and others, the role that references to Sirius, the layout in Cairo that would match the belt stars, all of it, it is becoming uh, like a, to me, it's beginning to make sense. Even Spartan 1 down in Antarctica, seeing those big, big black doors that had the black suns carved in them, uh, another carving an astronomer identified as being like overlapping uh, dimensions, and that all the carvings in the walls were something that might be uh, pictographic, but was not Egyptian, was not Mayan, but was something like it. It is uh, the part that we need to be told is that beings from Sirius A and B, Procyon A and B, were here long ago. That 270 million year uh, number that the DIA guy told me in December 1999 that I've talked about here many times before is probably extremely relevant if we understood all of the timelines of these different civilizations, but it would begin to explain how in this book, it's all about that tribe in Mali in Africa, 
having information about Sirius A and B, uh, knowing about water beings, seeing perhaps water beings. And now, tonight, we're talking about firsthand sources that have been out there, <laughs> that they have traveled in one of our, like the Curtis LeMay, and they have been there. They've done social studies. We're beginning to learn about them. They're here. And what do we come into from what we're learning in contemporary, this contemporary century? It is spiraling back into the ancient, ancient times because it's all been woven by the same intelligences. And I, I just, I would love to know more. I want to get on one of these craft and go out to see Procyon A and B and Sirius A and B and uh, 82G Eridani and just the idea that if you know the technology, you can use your mind that you could go po point to point in an instant and that that's how some intelligences are moving around this universe. I just find it tremendously exciting. I hope you guys do too. Okay, Ian. Hey, here's some comments. Um, uh, BK says, Linda, the topic is right in point tonight. Uh, Theo Disc says, sitting on the mat at primary school, eagerly drinking in the teacher's lesson. And uh, we've had um, Starlight says, yes, keep the information coming. So everyone is uh, responding to your request to keep the information coming. They like your deep dives. Well, and don't you think that this is beginning to uh, crack open a picture that is feels like, uh, at an intuitive level, this is the truth. That's right. And I've just got to go through the super chats this evening. We've got uh, Transgressive Chemist, Stacey Watkins, Tracy S., Catherine Job, Kathy Awonski, Marianne Eversoll, Thought on Fire 222, Teresa Bass, Linda Dobson-Hacker, Traz, Jessica Rodriguez, Moonbird, and Laura Lujubas. And Laura Lujubas says, she's curious if any entity has ever contacted you personally to thank you for sharing the truth. I'm sure if they have found a way to interact or show you a sign of gratitude. I am beyond thankful for you. Well, I am not aware of any being standing in front of me in a biological way at any point in my life and knowing that it was an extraterrestrial biological entity communicating. No, I have not had that experience. But I have had, it seems to me, many experiences where I've had uh, images in my mind uh, that have helped me immensely, uh, that I'm aware of the thoughts. For example, in Idaho, when I was uh, 21 years old and the, had that experience of seeing everything on the mountain, the stars, the, the everything turn into light, and having something raise my own hands up in front of me, felt like warm jello, raised my hands in front of me. And then the voice I knew was not me. It wasn't, there was nothing about it that was scary or spooky. It was loving. 
It was deep, it was profound. And I'm hearing this thought voice, you are one with the light, the light is one with you, and you are in the hands of God forever. And since that jello, warm jello, brought my hands up in front of my, me, and those thought words came in such a peaceful, wonderful way at age 21, I suppose it sort of set a context for me that you think that I had the destiny from 1963 up to 1979, this evolutionary period of education. But by 1979, September, what entered my life? That meeting with Sheriff Tex Graves up in Sterling, Colorado, because I want to find out why there are animals, cattle especially, horses, domestic animals, that are being found dead with no blood and no tracks. And Sheriff Tex Graves, right at the beginning of my research, said, Linda, I'll save you some time. The perpetrators are creatures from outer space. Now, in a strange way, it's almost odd to me now, looking back, that the sheriff saying that to me did not scare me. It didn't intimidate me. It didn't make me want to go to another subject. I was galvanized at that moment when he said those words and felt that electrical shock go through my entire body as I've compared it to touching a electric garden hose uh, wire. And it was as if everything that I am collapsed into that moment. Linda, let me save you some time. The perpetrators of bloodless, trackless animal mutilations are creatures from outer space. And that from that moment of feeling that electric shock throughout my entire body to this very microsecond, something in me was ignited that I was I was going to get to the bottom of it no matter what. And look at where we are. The number of facets in this complicated chess game is so many. And clearly, there are beings who have vested interest in seeing us evolve in love and light into another dimension. And then there are other forces that seem to be wanting to not only push us back, but want to push us completely off of the earth. And again, I'm not afraid of that. I don't feel fear. The more I learn, the more I learn about the dark versus the white, the yin versus the yang, what are our the bell-shaped curve of all possible consciousnesses in this universe. I'm more provoked. I want to keep learning more. I want to keep reporting more. And that seems to me 
healthy. And that's what I'm hoping that all of you are feeling. We're on a very rocky time on earth right now. But somehow I feel there is light at the end of what seems like a dark and revolutionary time. That there is light. That we are going to make it, as Adam Burns said uh, three weeks or four weeks ago. That he was shown by the uh, tall beings to him. You need, you humans, you need to get out of the third dimension, bypass the fourth. You need to get to the fifth. That's language that never had any meaning to most people, but it does in the 21st century increasingly. So something, something is happening in which maybe we have to go through this really rough time. But out there is a sense of excitement, wonder, and a universe as complex as this one. Okay, Ian. Okay, Linda. I just want to mention as well about the Barcelona conference. I've posted some links in the chat, and I'll be putting some up in the uh, pinned comments after the show. But I got my ticket this morning, and oh. uh, you're able to... Book it online. You could even book a whole inclusive package, including the hotel accommodation, your meals, etc. And you could even choose your seats. And uh, I'd like to say as well that it's also available as a virtual conference for anyone who can't attend in person. Yeah, would you explain that, please, Ian? Uh, if, uh, on the links to the website, you can actually go to the website and order a ticket. It's in English and in Spanish. Uh, you, if you can't attend in person, you can e even attend virtually. So the conference is available virtually, but you can buy an all-inclusive package of uh, accommodation, meals, workshops, conference uh, attendances, other attractions that are going on around the site. And uh, you can have, have that as an all-inclusive package at a reduced cost. Uh, and at the moment, that's available for uh, I suppose it's the next so many days, and then the prices do go up to a normal, regular price. Well, good. So, I mean, wouldn't that be fantastic if some of you can get to Barcelona physically, and if not, attend in the uh, digital world, and then when I get back, uh, we can have some kind of dialogue about everything that I experienced in Barcelona and what all you heard and learned, and we will incorporate that. We'll call it the Barcelona experience, Ian. Uh, it would be great to see you again in the matter world. Um, I, how long ago did we meet in the crop circle world uh, in the Vale of Pusey? About 20 years ago, something? Quite oh, when we very first met up there, yes, yeah. we, um, we, we, we met up in the, um, yeah. in the crop circles in the uh, yeah. Vale of Pusey and in the village hall at Alton Barnes, where, yeah, and, uh, and then we met again at the, uh, in California. Yeah. So, yes, it would be, it'd be great to meet up with you again. Yeah, and I remember in those early days in the crop formations, uh, standing out with you and others uh, in the night sky, uh, talking about the high strangeness of what was happening in the crop circles. And today, in 2022, we'll be there in uh, September. It almost seems as if 
crop circles that used to pl play such a huge role. There are so many different phenomena and investigations that are going along with, will Elon Musk get to Mars? Will he eventually have a million people on Mars? That we are uh, clearly learning in the material from my source that we already have craft that are taking us out to 22 different solar systems. Doesn't it feel suddenly like the popcorn in the popper is accelerating and that the number of new challenges, new breakthroughs, even if we haven't had the official headline, we're not alone in this universe. <laughs> this universe is filled, teeming with life. And we're, we're finally on our own without power brokers uh, telling us. I think, don't you sense that the inertial swing of a lot of people is already there. They know we're not alone in this universe and that there is now a new and growing hunger to start having reality checks. And so places like Barcelona and having people come together internationally seems like a wonderful step at the same time that an awful war is going on in planet Earth. If we can accommodate these kinds of opposites, then maybe dear Homo sapiens sapien can make it. And on that note, I'm, I want to again apologize for the, for the Keystone Cops out of sync at the beginning of the teleprompter racing away. But maybe Sorry about that, Linda, that's no problem at all. But please tell everyone to like and subscribe as well. Oh, yeah. But one of the things about it is that it is almost like a metaphor that the more we rely on the digital and the mechanical and the electronic world keeping us out of it, the more we are going to face problems if we don't try to keep all of our interior soul life engaged in what we are doing and what is happening, like rehearsing, but sometimes even rehearsing doesn't eliminate a technical problem. And that you wanna do it all over again, but that would take too much time and would be boring. And so in my apology is also, don't ever give up, just keep going, do whatever you can do to keep going because right around the corner or up above may be something that is unbelievably wonderful and we've got to be that flexible. So with that, Ian, the last thing I guess I will add to this show that Ian just uh, suggested, my whole dream is that our audience, which is now larger than 210,000 subscribers, that we just keep going and doubling and that this is a crossroads, even if technically things can go wrong, that this is a crossroads, a meeting place for you out there in the whole planet and Brad and me and Ian and Eric here and the future that keeps coming at us in a very rapid way, but that it feels to me 
that we're in the very subject. We are learning the exact material that we need to learn to get ourselves into the next decade and the next decade. And that the thought that dwells in the light, the consciousness of this whole universe, in some strange way, is listening to what's happening on Earth and all of these trillions of other galaxies. And that in the end, maybe some place, maybe some point in infinity, we will know that what happened on Earth in this critical time was pivotal to how we continue to unfold into the next centuries. That's the way I like to think about it. So you guys, never give up. Let's keep doing this. Push that red rectangle, I guess it is, in the lower right corner to subscribe. And if you like this, click on that like button. All those things help us at YouTube. And Feel an agape hug, a love, creature to creature, mind to mind, consciousness to the universe. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.
Thanks for listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. 